Corner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, I'm Dr. Jonay Caldoun. We know that COVID-19 is spreading rapidly across Michigan right now. The most important thing people can do to protect themselves is social distancing. That means unless you are a critical infrastructure worker or going out to get food or medicine for your home, you should be staying at home. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. This is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into hour two of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program on this uh, March 8th, International Women's Day. We have the uh, honor this hour of talking with the president and founder of Mother's Grace, a nonprofit that addresses mothers and their children's critical needs amid tragic life events. She is also the author of A Mother's Grace, Healing the World One Woman at a Time. Um, she is uh, Michelle Moore, and she joins me by phone. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Um, the book, um, A Mother's Grace, Healing the World One Woman at a Time, when did that come out? It was um, end of the year last year, September 2020. It was uh, released on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Okay, and it it highlights 13 moms who were uh, affected by uh, profound loss of life, uh, home, health, livelihood, etc. Exactly. Yep. Where did those women come from, uh, Michelle? Um, were they people that you knew from your work with Founders or with uh, Mother's Grace? You know, the 13 women that I encountered for the book were, were women that I have, you know, collided with on life's journey through, you know, the last 15 years. Um, as I started, you know, some of them came before I started the charity and some came after. Uh, many of them were inspirational to me in in trying to do what I was trying to accomplish, but they were really just people that came into my life divinely through, you know, the last 15, 20 years. And um, the first one, you know, starting with Hurricane Katrina and uh, met her there as my son and I were down there trying to help clean up the city. 
now you mentioned Hurricane Katrina, and there are several big events that that happened that upset families and and uh, um, turned lives upside down for mothers and children and, and uh, parents and so on. Um, but those are events that often can be recovered from in in a few weeks. Um, it, it's been a hundred years since we had an event like what we've been experiencing this last year. How has this last year impacted uh, mothers? Well, I, I can tell you that um, there's a, just a continuation of, you know, acute situations and that COVID and the pandemic hasn't made it any easier because you know, the things that I write about in the book are very much like natural disasters and school shootings. There's a mom in there that uh, lost her daughter in the Parkland shootings. There is a loss of life from cancer. But those things go on, continue on, even during the pandemic. And then you add the pandemic into it and you have people at home getting more depressed and you have people at home sick or in the hospital sick. Um, and to give you an example, one of the moms in the book that I write about, Marianne Gueva, um, is she's someone that lost her son through addiction and suicide. And she started a, a nonprofit called Eric's House after her son, whom she lost. She also is a breast cancer survivor. So she survived all those things, yet p the pandemic comes and she really succumbs to the illness and is in the hospital for about a month. And her living son, who is also uh, a Down syndrome child, it gets the, uh, the virus at the same time and is in the hospital, you know, a couple doors down from her in the hospital. And um, he, the doctors told her to prepare for his, you know, passing because he was so ill. So she's, so she's dealing with all this other stuff, but then the pandemic comes and she's also dealing with that. So what I think the pandemic and the virus has done is just, escalated all of the other problems you know that people are facing anyway and it's brought people um you know really having to face some of their emotional and, and and issues around depression and anxiety but also you know things that are impacting their financial world and that doesn't make it any easier to deal with these already very very acute situations you know i've talked to a number of um writers uh, and and some you know very successful best-selling uh, authors um, from the New York Times bestseller list and so on and I've asked them if if the quarantine or whatever you want to call the shelter in place situation we find ourselves in or have found ourselves in over the last year if it made them more productive and it's surprising the number of people who could have had time to do a lot of stuff that typically worked from home that responded, no, like a lot of people, I just kind of stood there like a deer in the headlights. Um, have moms been able to, to let their, their fear hold them back? I think that's an excellent, excellent question. Um, you know, from, I, I go attend a lot of book clubs that are reading my book and, and listen to moms and what they're dealing with now. And I think there is this 
bit of paralysis that comes from not knowing how to handle this. And they're so used to a certain routine and to back up and try to change that has been a bit paralyzing. For me, um, I was a a senior vice president for a diagnostic company and I was used to traveling all over. And the minute, you know, a year ago right now to this week when everything hit, our travel restrictions, everything was halted. And we didn't travel the whole rest of the year. And I was all of a sudden, you know, in my house with um, kids that came home from college and, and uh, you know, my family also did get the virus. And I will tell you mm. that, no, I would, did not get more productive. We spent more time <laughs> together. I got which, which is done. which is a thing, and you know, if if people took advantage of that, you know, kudos to them, you know, for. I think we really did appreciating really the family it. time, yeah. but I, you know, I just I have a feeling that, you know, I, I know I'm going to look back and think all the things I could have should have done <laughs> during that year. Yeah, like I was going to learn a new language. I was. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to read five books. Uh, no, none of those things happened. But I did, I do think that I was, you know, I live in Arizona, so I was outside more, um, you know, really out, you know, on the hiking trails. I was, um, uh, you know, around my kids more. I don't know. I can't say I was more productive, but I, I don't think it was an absolute loss of time either. It was, it was a real spiritual time as well. Um, that, uh, reminds me of uh, and i've talked to some people who said you know try and spend more time outside if you can of course you know the last couple of months here in michigan that's been a little rough but um but a lot of people have spent a lot of time binge watching television but moms have had to play multiple roles in some cases um, they've had to be, you know, become teachers and, and do, you know, home learning for their kids or at least certainly accommodate their kids' remote learning. Um, the ones that, that have jobs that are professionals have have had to, to lurk, learn to work from home if they're not, you know, what um, essential workers uh, exactly. But they've had to take on a lot of additional roles how are they coping with all um, of that? You know, my kids are a little older, so I haven't had that issue, even though they've been at home. Um, but I do have friends that have the younger kids, and I think it's been a real challenge. Um, and it's been hard, additionally, if they work, too, from home, to find, trying to find a space where they can get everything done and having to make real adjustments to their schedule and to boundaries in the house. But I do have I do have one friend that I've spoken to quite a bit that has young children at home, and um, they just had to get really organized because I think in the beginning no one knew what to do and everybody was mad at each other and irritated with each other. They just had to set up some real boundaries in the house, rules, you know, quiet time, and you know, where people aren't just running in on each other. But I think it's been a real anxiety-producing situation, and I think moms have gotten real down you know, with their schedules interrupted, the way they like their lives to go. And what, how are people managing to cope or what are some of the stories that you have come across where people have been 
challenged by the pandemic and then faced the kinds of personal tragedies that happen in every uh, in every household deaths of family members uh, illness uh, you know loss of finance uh, all of these things well I think um, we continue to see people that are have the same issues like those are not going away I mean currently we're helping a young 29 year old that has very very serious cancer and also another family just came in last week who um, were, they were cooking outside as a family and their grill blew up and the, their son was in the hospital for a week and then passed from the explosion. So all these still, these acute, overwhelming, tragic things are happening. And then at the same time, they're also trying to recover finances. The, so there's been one positive thing that, that there has been a lot of uh, resources and support pr- uh, programs, you know, the payment protection program, things like that. So people aren't absolutely destitute. So we've been able to help people make sure that they're applying for the right support and aid. And then we can help additionally if, um, if there's an acute situation. However, I do think the, the saddest part of this situation are these small businesses that have just eroded over time little bit by little bit. Their payment protection plans maybe ran out and they just had to pick up their business and shut down. And I've seen it everywhere. I was actually in Chicago over the weekend and saw some really cool businesses and restaurants that have been there forever and just have closed down. And that's who I worry about the most. And I and there's a family here that went through the entire illness. Their entire family got sick. The husband was in the hospital, um, was in the hospital for a month, and he's still recovering from respiratory issues. And they lost their small deli. And they're just having to completely regroup. And the best thing we can do for them is help. And that's what Mother's Grace does in these acute situations is we help for a month or two while people get back on their feet. And those are the families that we try to help. But that's as, as people in the community want to reach out, help those families, because I see that the most, the people that have lost their small businesses and are trying to regroup and decide what they're going to do with their lives. Um, do mothers have a special capacity? Are they better at coping with adversity than, than dads or, or than men are? <laughs> Oh boy, um, and I'm not and I'm not trying to get you to throw dad <laughs> under the bus or anything. <laughs> no, I know, but here's what I think, and we say this a lot in, at the charity, and I say this a lot in the book, that we really believe that mothers are the backbone of the family. So they're jugglers. Many of them work, um, many don't, but they still have full, you know, responsibilities from you know getting their kids school, their play dates, their doctor's appointments, everything that goes on in a family, we feel like the mom is the backbone usually that makes those things happen. So when, when they are th- moms are thrown off their game from some tragedy or even some smaller thing like just having the flu for a couple weeks, the family is you know, is off kilter for a little bit. Michelle, a lot I, about- I hate to yeah. interrupt, but I have to put a comma here. I have a break coming up. Can you stick around so we can talk about this some more? Sure, absolutely. Great. My guest is Michelle Moore. She is the president and founder of Mother's Grace. We're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wanky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue now with my conversation with the uh, uh, president and founder of Mother's Grace. She is also the author of A Mother's Grace, Healing the World One Woman at a Time. Michelle Moore is her name, and she joins me by phone. Michelle, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and uh, sorry to make you sit through all that. No worries at all. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> just before the break, um, you had mentioned in the last segment, maybe not just before the break, but uh, in the last segment, that living in Arizona, you were able to spend a little bit more time outdoors and that you found it um, somehow, uh, that you experienced some perhaps spiritual growth. How much, when you talk about mothers being the backbone of a family, um, how much of that strength is just womanhood? How much of it is grace? How much of it relies on faith? Well, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for me and I can speak for several moms in this book, you know, The Mother's Grace, I think most of us feel that our strength comes divinely, whether it's from your God or the universe or um, however you... A higher power. A higher power, exactly. Um, And that they put a lot of faith in, you know, we put... I always think of grace as... I put out my intention to the, be the best person I can be. I, I put out my intention. Of course, I'm fallible like everybody else, and I make mistakes, and I'm not my best, the best version of myself every day. But if I put that out to my higher power and I say, hey, listen, I need help and support in being on the right path to being the best person I can be and showing up for others the best way I can, and then I let go and t- instead of trying to control every outcome and maneuver every outcome and then I let go and I let grace come in and fill in the gaps and I think that as mothers and especially mothers in the book we have learned to do that that we have gone through some really tough stuff and to get to the other side it's not a controlling of emotions or a controlling of like I'm going to make this happen today it's more like I'm going to put out this intention I'm going to do the best I can but then I'm going to let grace come in and fill in the gaps and I think that's I think that's how we all come together. What happens uh, for someone who's questioning their faith, their health, their ability to cope? What what can they do to um, to address those fears? I think that's a great question, and I think I really, really address that in my chapter of the book because I'm a cancer survivor, and you know, 13 years ago this month. Actually, I was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer. And three weeks later, my young son, seven years at the time, was uh, rushed to the hospital and diagnosed with juvenile diabetes and nearly nearly died. So I think, you know, what, back to your question, I think when you have these things happen, I think you learn that to get to the other side, there's, you know, you have to rely on faith. You have to rely on a higher power. You have to rely on support from other people. There's because you, there's no choice. Like I wanted to fall down and just bury myself in the sand, but 
you don't have a choice. You're the mom. So you have to get up, deal with your health, which I was dealing with. I had a year of chemotherapy. And I, and I was also teaching my seven-year-old how to be insulin dependent. And so, you know, what I learned through that time was that, you know, sheer will doesn't make you get through those things. It was a constant release into faith. And, you know, trying to be the best person I can be and have that growth during that time. And I really had some spiritual growth during that time because I couldn't, I couldn't control what the doctors said to me. I couldn't control how I felt after chemotherapy. I couldn't control, you know, how horrible it was to try and eat, you know, the taste in your mouth. And people from COVID say the same thing, losing your sense of taste. You can't control those things. And I think as women and mothers, we're so bent on trying to control our family's outcome. We're trying to take care of everybody. The opposite is what I learned in growth is true, that you have to pray, put those things out there, be the best version of yourself, and let everything else come in faith. And it does. It does. I have many examples of that in my own life, and I illustrate that in my chapter, but many of the women in the book do the same thing, and they've had unspeakable things happen. When did you um, start Mother's Grace? Mother's Grace Charity was started in 2000, end, end of 2009, 2010. And um, the book I actually started five, six years before that. And in the process of, of doing the work that Mother's Grace does, and, and of course the research that, that you did and, and putting together the book, A Mother's Grace Healing the World One Woman at a Time, did you notice any significant differences in generationally, let's say, um, where mothers from previous decades or previous eras different than moms today? Um, maybe some small things. Um, it's a really good question. I'm thinking about the different age differences. I think the one thing that I will say that they all had in common was a fierce passion for their family and their children and the welfare of their children. The, maybe some of the generational differences were just in the way that they were dealing with those things, you know. Um, but the the main, you know, main thing that was running through each of these women was just a intense, intense passion for their family and care of their family. The differences would just be things like technical, you know, the way they deal with, you know, research and things like that. But no, I think a mother, you know, my grandmother's age to a mother that is, you know, a brand new mother in her late 20s, you know, the same kind of feeling that they have for their children. Is empathy something that can be passed on generationally from moms to their children? I think so, um, and I've written a lot of articles about that because I've tried to really bring up my children with a sense of empathy because, as we know, empathy is so much different than sympathy. Empathy is when we're sitting in that space with somebody and really listening and, and letting them have a piece of our heart, you know, versus just feeling sorry for someone. So empathy, to me, can be taught by putting children into situations where they can actually actualize things and not just, you know, I think it's great to go and do like athletic things like walk for diabetes. We do those things. But actually sitting your children into 
a situation that's very painful and watching those things and having them help work in those situations helps teach empathy. And I talk a lot about that in the book, but I also have written articles for magazines about that, just taking your kids along with you, modeling it, and, and just putting in those, in those situations is really important. Are, are people that, that feel empathy more likely to lend assistance than, than people who are merely uh, uh, sympathetic? You know, I, I don't want to say that's a black and white answer, but I will say that, um, you know, that many well, you times... you can gray it up if you want to, Michelle. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll gray it up. I'll gray it up. I think sympathetic, sympathetic people, you know, write checks a lot, and, and, um, and I think that's what we need. We need donations, of course. Um, the empathetic, I think, I think the empathy creates more space and time for people. I think sympathy is like, oh my gosh, what can I do for you right now? Empathy is like, oh my gosh, I'm really taking on how you must feel and I'm really digging into how I might be able to help you. Um, and I'm sitting here with you in your space as an equal versus kind of looking down and saying, hey, I feel sorry for you. I'm going to do this. But um, I'm going to help the yeah. lesser among us, that kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are there some tips to that that can can teach kids how to have these things or, or is this a, a nature versus nurture thing? <laughs> are, are, are there some kids that are naturally more empathetic than others? You know, I'm not a scientist, but I have three boys um, from 23 to 17 and they certainly show up differently in the world. Um, I think some of them are more sensitive than others, but um, I really do think that, you know, pieces of empathy can be taught. And I, I again, I'm going to put it back to putting them in the situation. I took all of my son, well, I took one of my sons to New Orleans after Katrina and put them in the situation in the middle of it and helped clean up houses and saw what was going on. He developed a, a real empathy for that and a real tie to New Orleans after that. It was interesting. I also took two of my children to Africa um, and working in an orphanage down there, and they had real empathy for what was going on and a real camaraderie with these kids. So putting them in the situation helps right there where they, there's not a distraction. You know, there's not video games, there's not their phone, um, and then see what happens. But it, it's something that, you know, in the United States, there's a lot of privilege um, but there's lots of areas just in the United States that, that need help. And so it's, it can be right around your corner. It can be through a church group. It can th be through an athletic group. It can be cleaning up, you know, poverty-stricken areas here or natural disasters. It could be anything that appeals to you or pulls on your heartstrings. You, you don't have to look far for a place to take your child and go help. This, this last year, 2020, has just been dramatic in so many ways. I mean, the pandemic certainly, but there have been Black Lives Matter protests, the um, uh, wildfires in the West, um, hurricanes. I, there, there was a, a rough tornado season in the South. There have just been so many things that it, it seems like it would be very easy to just 
shelter at home and hide from everything. How do you change your perception? How do you take a fresh look when you're faced with challenges or when it seems like challenges are there everywhere you look? Well, I think that's one of the best questions you ask, and I can answer that from a personal perspective because, you know, I've had lots of things happen in my own life that were just overwhelming. And what, I'm one of those people that likes to just curl up at home and just kind of hide. And I, <laughs> I'm going I back to it. bed. <laughs> yeah, emotional paralysis. Bugs Bunny and used I, to say, I should have stood in bed. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And my parents even say that when I was young and I had emotional things going on, I would take to my bed. Like I would just go hunker down, watch some TV, and stay in bed. And I did that during the pandemic some. You know, I'm home more. You don't have to get up and put a suit on. But um, I have so a couple streaming you- services I didn't have before the pandemic. <laughs> uh, you know what? Same here, Tom. I have <laughs> I'd never heard of before. I never heard of them. I'm paying nine ninety nine a month for it, like five times. Um, but so here's what I've learned, and this is a real personal recommendation because I struggle with this, and I even struggle with it recently. Instead of me going plugging into Netflix or Hulu or all of those things again, which I love, I'm not putting them down. I really love them. I, I make a goal with myself to just turn it off and move into another room and make the other room make it really comfortable, put some music on, or I, sometimes I put news on the background, whatever. And I move out of a room that has kind of kept me paralyzed. So I have a new perspective. Maybe I'm looking out a different window. Maybe I'm looking at a hummingbird feeder. It's one of the things I've told people to get during the pandemic. Get a hummingbird feeder and put it outside that you can really look at something other than what's going on inside. And um, I've also planted some flowers. But I actually got one of those planners. It's a great planner. And it makes you get up every day and say what you're going to do that day and three things that you want to accomplish. And then you move your space and you you look at a different view and it starts to help you it makes you do things because I had to do something that made me do something because it was too easy to go back to bed and watch, uh, you know, a streaming show. So, you know, environment, make a couple of to-do lists during the day, get a different perspective, have something outside your window different to look at as simple as a hummingbird feeder and just take one step out. I'm not, I'm not not sure, Michelle, if, um, Turning the news on <laughs> lately is a, a really good idea if you're trying to, to change your your outlook <laughs> and make things brighter. So, <laughs> normally I have like Apple Music on, but sometimes just for the white noise, I'll just, or just to have something in the background, like I'll go into my sitting room and just have it on the background, like not where I have to hear it, just in case there's something I want to pick up. It's just changing things up. Because like you said before, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. Like, uh, I've got a couple hours. I'm going to t- tune into uh, Ozark or something like that, you know? <laughs> so I, I've had to just change. The, the, I had to change the environment. That's, a, that's what I really had to do so that I could break things up. In the, we, we still have a few minutes, and I, I was hoping maybe I could get you to share the stories of of a couple of women from the uh from the book um and 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 i also want to see if you'll address 
if these women were especially outstanding or just examples of women in general that you think? Well, first of all, that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I'll share a couple stories, and then, um, but I want to address that last question first, that most of the women in this book um, are outstanding women, but they're just like you, you know, the woman that you know in your life and the woman that I know, the teacher, the sister-in-law, the friend, um, you know, they were regular people that overcame an insurmountable tragedy and decided to take something back to their community. And they talk about how that tragedy impacted them. The difference is they're open, they've gone through the situation, and they've decided to do something with that pain. But they are, they're, they're your neighbor, right? They're your sister. Um, they're very regular people. So let me tell you a couple stories. First of all, um, I'll tell you about Connie Udo, who's the first woman in the book, who um, when she, before Hurricane Katrina, she was a part-time tennis coach. She played a lot of tennis, part-time tennis coach and uh, mom of two, and she sold vitamins on the side. Hurricane Katrina came, and they lost everything, jobs, uh, friends, and they had to move six times before they were finally able to go back to New Orleans. They lived in Houston, and, and they lost everything, finances, you know. And when they finally decided to go back, their house was one of the few that was still standing. Of course, they had to gut it and, and do all those things. But they came back to the neighborhood, and she started a little meeting in her living room with, like, five people from the neighborhood where she went and put flyers on people's cars and said, hey, let's come and talk about getting our neighborhood back together. In the end, I mean, and she, she went through severe depression, times she couldn't get out of bed where her family was worried about her. Um, she wasn't just like, a, you know, oh, Hurricane Katrina, now I'm going to do this. No, she had a, a, quite a journey to, to the spot where she had this meeting. And she took that meeting to the whole city and became very famous. You can Google her, Connie Udo, um, St. Paul's Homecoming and uh, Hike Katrina. And she... helped rebuild over 60,000 homes. Wow. She was was featured, um, she went to Congress regarding FEMA, and she was featured in, you know, over 500 news stories and um, really changed the heart of the city. And she still does this for other areas that are, now she supports, she's written a book on surviving natural disaster, and she's a go-to for people that um, have natural disasters. So, and to answer your question before, her two children have gone into service now. One mm. is a traveling nurse, and the other works um, with uh, young kids as well. So um, really a transformative story, Connie. And she's the first person I met, and we, we still are friends today. And, um, and I just spoke to her on the phone the other day. A remarkable woman. Um, there's so many other stories there, you know, one of my favorite stories in the book is, is really about three women and it's three women in my community in Arizona who have encountered, um, addiction and suicide with their young children. Mm. And, and, uh, they all, two of them lost sons to addiction and suicide. And the third mom had a son that was on that path. And she ended up, you know, she, she, they all detail in the book the, the rounds of relapses and, 
and just, you know, the pain of watching your child go down that for years. The third woman, Debbie, in the book started a national organization called Not My Kid. And it is in over 1,500 schools in the in the U.S. And it's a peer program for kids that are having problems, um, you know, with drugs or, or um, bullying or things like that. And she has really turned, uh, you know, the face of addiction into a place where people can really get some great peer counseling. She uses peers and kids in the school system to help their other peers. And it's been great. My kids went... You know, the school systems here adopt the program, and my kids all went through that um, at their school just to, to, you know, to, to, to educate them for going forward. So That's great. I, you know, yeah, there's just it, there's another story, Jennifer, in there whose uh, who son was away at college and came home and had a, a, you know, a scratch on his leg that got infected, and it turned into sepsis, and um, he lost all four of his limbs. And what they're doing today. So there's just it's story after story. But Michelle, I have a friend that that lives in Nashville. We've been friends, lifelong friends, and he used to say jokingly, "Why is my life so much tougher than everybody else's?" <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. and I, I I guess the reason that I bring that up, or what made me think of it, is for anybody that that ever has that notion, this would be a great book. I think absolutely because it just takes regular people and shows what's really going on. I think absolutely. It's everybody that has read it says I feel inspired afterwards and not alone. So I think, you know, it's a great book for that. Well, the book is called A Mother's Grace: Healing the World One Woman at a Time. It's by Michelle Moore, who is the president and founder of Mother's Grace a uh, nonprofit that addresses mothers and their children's critical needs amid tragic life events. Um, Michelle, thanks for spending this time and sharing these stories. Um, I, 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 I always end by asking guests where listeners can find out more, but just as important, where mothers can turn for the kind of help and support they need if they're not able to find it from their own higher power um do you have a website for mother's grace we do it's mothers-grace.org is the apostrophe in mothers yep well it's a it's a dash so yes it's it, oh no 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 apostrophe i'm sorry just mothers-grace.org okay gotcha um and uh and there you would have tips and links to resources that... Absolutely. There's a, a resource list as well. Well, that is, is great. Um, Michelle, thanks again. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. Have a great week. Okay. Keep up the good work. Bye-bye. That was Michelle Moore, president and founder of Mother's Grace. Her... Uh, book uh, that just came out toward the end of uh, last year a mother's grace healing the world one woman at a time we're going to let our broadcast partner squeeze a few words in and uh, if you're streaming us we have some messages as well and then we will continue with our international women's day edition of the tom sumner program so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse lots more 
is straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. feelings of inadequacy? Do you suffer from shyness? Do you sometimes wish you were more assertive? If you answered yes to any of these questions, ask your doctor or pharmacist about tequila. Tequila, tequila is the safe, natural way to feel better and more confident about yourself and your actions. Tequila can help ease you out of your shyness and let you tell the world that you're ready and willing to do just about anything. You'll notice the benefits of tequila almost immediately. And with a regimen of regular doses, you can overcome any obstacles that prevent you from living the life you want to live. Shyness and awkwardness will be a thing of the past, and you'll discover many talents you never knew you had. Stop hiding and start living with tequila. Tequila may not be right for everyone. Women who are pregnant or nursing should not use tequila. However, women who wouldn't mind nursing or becoming pregnant are encouraged to try it. Side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, erotic lustfulness, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, loss of virginity, delusions of grandeur, table dancing, headache, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all-night rounds of strip poker, truth or dare, and naked twister. Warning, the consumption of alcohol may make you think you're whispering when you're not. It's a major factor in dancing like a retard. May cause you to tell your friends over and over again that you're in love with them. Also may cause you to think you can sing. Alcohol may lead you to believe that ex-lovers are really dying for you to telephone them at four in the morning. Alcohol may make you think you can logically converse with members of the opposite sex without spitting. It may create the illusion that you are tougher, smarter, faster, and better looking than most people. And it may lead you to think people are laughing with you. Alcohol may cause pregnancy and it also may be a major factor in getting your ass kicked so what are you waiting for stop hiding and start living with tequila from the top 
This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
Deciding to move to Muskegon Took everything I didn't have
Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom 